Hello and welcome to Agony Aunt and Uncle. Yes, hello. Um, if you're listening on podcast, you can also watch us over on our YouTube channel, The Swala Adelis. Absolutely. Uh, for those who can see, uh, it looks like I've had a nosebleed, but I've cut myself shaving, so I do apologise. He's cut himself shaving and I look like I've been dragged through a hedge backwards. Oh, you still look gorgeous, babe. <laughs> I love you. My hair is a little crazy today. So, um, Agony Art and Uncle, we always say this at the beginning because we think it's really important for people that might be joining us the first time. We are not professional mental health carers. We are just people that have had a lot of fuck-ups through the way, along the way, and we are quite often the, per- the people that family or friends come to for advice. So, we don't even say we advise, really. We just share our own experiences. They don't necessarily take our advice, but um, <laughs> we, we sort of... Look, we've been through a lot, as has most people, people exactly. or as have most people. Um, and, you know, I think that's what life is about, isn't it? It's about sharing your experiences or perhaps sharing your stance or opinion on something from a different perspective. I always remember years ago, and use this analogy of me saying to uh, someone in television, I've never made a cookery show. And they made a really good observation. They said, but that means you'll bring something very different to it. Mm. And it's that kind of thing, you know, it's mm. like we might not have direct experience of something, but our experience of something mm. else might mean we see something in it. And I got a message from somebody the other day who said just when they heard their problem read out, it was just they had lots of little light bulbs go off just hearing something, you know, just not Mm. from your own echo chamber Mm. can sometimes just be powerful in itself. So I'm going to kick off. This is um, from an anonymous person and I'm going to really get Mark to lead on the answer of this, though I do have, I definitely have a strong opinion on this as well. Um, because for those of you that have, maybe this is your very first time in the podcast, Mark, sorry speaking for you, darling, has been sober now for 18 years. Mm. Um, and my God, having lived with him those 18 years, I know what a journey that is. And it is never easy. And I'm always in awe of sober people. Totally in awe. I could not do it myself. So I think... Through our own lived experience, though, I, did, I think that we could really maybe give some opinions on this, Mark. Yeah. The only thing I'm sad about is that we don't know your age, Anon. Um, We're going to change that. Michelle's going to change that so that we do get yeah, people's ages. With all of the uh, uh, problems today, I wanted to know people's age because it does make a bit of a difference. So, hi, Nadia and Mark. I'd very much like your advice from both your perspectives. I decided three months ago to completely abstain from drinking alcohol. I'm not sure if I'd have been classed as an alcoholic, but I drank at least a bottle of wine every night and then binge drank over the weekend for roughly the last three years, costing me a fortune and making me ill, hence the decision to completely abstain. My dilemma is I have a holiday booked in June with a new partner who isn't aware of my decision to not drink due to my excessive past drinking behaviour. It's never been a topic of conversation. He is already making comments like he can't wait to get to the airport and kick back with a drink. He's looking forward to relaxing with me with cocktails, etc, etc. God, literally my heart aches Mm. for you you just reading this. Mm. So I guess my question is, should I continue to abstain and be honest, or is it possible to have a good time on holiday, then return home and continue to abstain? Thank you. Any advice would be gratefully received. And we're going to tell you straight away and on that both Mark and I, as we read this, 
problem early. We're like, <gasps> yeah. We felt sort of panic stricken to talk yeah. to you. Sorry, I'm just writing some notes. Um, um, just straight off the bat, the first thing that you ask, anonymous, is, am I an alcoholic? And I get asked this all the time. What's the definition of an alcoholic? And it's easy to sort of, and the longer I go through sobriety, the more I find this an increasingly difficult thing to define. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Do you? Well, because so many more sort of nuanced yes. gradations yeah. creep into yeah. both my observations of people, but also what it means to call someone an alcoholic based on um, often uh, when I'm presented with like the facts of what how someone drinks, what could be uh, an episode in their life. I can think of a couple of people very close to us who I would look back and would have said back then, uh, uh, you know, a high-functioning alcoholic, but looking at their behaviour now makes you think, well, perhaps they weren't. Um, and so I do think probably everyone who drinks will at some point in their life lose control and lose that sense of balance around their drinking. And I think that's really important. I think that's why it becomes more complicated for me because that, for me, an alcoholic doesn't make. I think alcoholism is about over whatever period of time, and it could be that you have great periods of abstinence or, if you like, controlled drinking, but over a period of time, the, the alcoholic will start to look at moments where they've potentially lost everything. And I think losing everything, and rock bottom is you know, the standard phrase, is for me uh, increasingly the definition of what, what marks an alcoholic. So for example, we, uh, a family member knows someone else who is repeatedly getting sober and repeatedly coming close to losing everything. And when I say lose everything, it doesn't just mean family, it means relationships, it means money, it means homes, but it also means sanity. And, and dignity. Um, and dig yeah, that's a good one, and dignity. Um, so you're asking right at the beginning, you know, does it make me an alcoholic? Well, as soon as someone uses words like binge drinking, um, you know, uh, Ill, illness, Ill, Ill. financial stress. Yeah, but you mentioned that you, you binge drink. You were drinking at least, when you say at least a bottle of wine a night, be, be fearsomely honest about that because the detail there is at least. Mm. It's not the fact that you're drinking a bottle of wine, which in and of itself, a bottle of wine every night isn't good. Um, at least, so I'm presuming it's more. And most people who have a drinking problem always underestimate or undersell how much they're drunk. I remember going to see doctors when I was fully drinking and they'd say, how much do you drink? And I'd say, well, something like that. It's an easy grab. I'd say, oh, I don't know, about a bottle, a bottle and a half of wine a night. And they're and horrified when you say that to a doctor. Yeah. And My then God. I'd go into rehab and they would be like, yeah, but double that and add some. And that's what they do. When people come into rehab and mm. say, oh, I used to drink this, they double it and add some. Mm. And the... The joke there is, add some, is how, how long is a piece yeah. of strength? I mean, like I would say, oh, I, I, I had three vodkas, mm. but I poured them. So how many shots of vodka is actually exactly. in those three vodkas exactly. I made myself that night? <laughs> so just in answer to that first paragraph, I'd say, if you're asking the question, you've obviously got a problem with alcohol, but that is not necessarily an alcoholic. You could be going through an episode, you could be going through a period. So what I would say is, because we don't know, is look back at your previous years, your, you know, however old you are, and has, is this period you're going through now, is it reminiscent of previous periods or has it been like this for an awfully long time? Um, 
you decided three months ago to stop drinking. Was the decision to stop drinking three months ago one of many times that you've tried to control drinking through abstinence, i.e. have you tried three months in the past, way, way, way before that? Have you tried it weeks at a time? Have you tried only drinking at certain times of the week? And, and the fact you? that you say that this was due to illness from the alcohol, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely. you can drink very heavily for very many years, some people and never actually get physically ill, so it suggests that there really is yeah. something going on with your body and the alcohol, which is mm. not good. So your dilemma around your holidays. So then, so then we focus on relationships. The first thing I would say, obviously, you're, it, it, I'm presuming it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a new relationship. You're going to go on holiday. The first thing I would, I would want to ask you is, how have previous relationships started and ended, and what was the alcohol aspect to that? Have most of your relationships started? Or be de defined like mine and Nadia's was uh, very much by extraordinary amounts of alcohol swishing around. Mm. It can be very exciting. It knocks down inhibitions. It makes you sort of bolder. It makes you flirty. All those kind of things. But it also knocks away inhibitions to such an extent that pe perhaps you make mistakes. Maybe you're unfaithful. A huge roused or yeah, off. exactly, Chaos. exactly. So has there been chaotic behaviour in previous relationships? If so, how did you meet your current partner? Did you, you know if your current partner met you? As it sounds in this period of sobriety, how, how I mean, I, I, I'm really curious because if you're about to go on holiday and he's really excited about drinking cocktails, I'm curious to know how you've got to this stage without alcohol having come up. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. presumably you'll have well, met for I dinner. Well, I suppose there could be all sorts of different things. Maybe Anon has said, oh, when I'm on holiday, I have a few drinks or mm. whatever, you know, masking the fact that she's doing this incredibly brilliant thing. Mm in staying sober and and just on that point if you don't mind me just interjecting what oh, no, is what no, i was just enough. fascinated when mark was in rehab um about how they had to say everything and i was like and we would go the fans everything? Get, everything that they felt ashamed of oh, you know right, yeah. because the thinking was that if you're carrying the shame of what you've done that can actually lead you to having a drink, like almost ashamed of all the things that you did mm. when you were done. And and so what what what's what I'm hearing here is that you're keeping this a secret. I could be wrong because you're ashamed of what you were like. You said due to past drinking. Mm. You know you don't have to tell him all the shameful things that you may have done or may have happened in your drinking time. You don't have to do that. It's a new, a new relationship, and why should you make yourself vulnerable like that? But I do think it's really important. Personally, if you were my daughter, I would be saying to you, listen, sweetie, I think it's really important that in an empowered way, you tell him you choose not to drink. Yeah. And the reason I choose not to drink is it just doesn't make me feel very well. I, I don't really like the way it makes me mm. feel. And you can reveal more the longer you know him. But if you're cautious about revealing this, this, this past of yours, then that's okay. But I think it's really important to have that boundary. And what I'm worrying about here is, is that I'm hearing because when you want to, nobody is sober without thinking that they want a drink. And what I'm worried mm. about is that you are, you are starting to tell yourself a story. You know, has he really said he's looking forward to drinking cocktails with you? Or is that what you naturally are wanting to do? You're going on holiday. It's totally natural to want to do that. And you could use this as an excuse to drink 
when what I think both Mike, Mark and I are hearing is you're actually quite afraid of drinking because mm. actually it was out of control. You got unwell, a feeling that you had a lot of situations that you didn't like yourself to be in. You, you were financially ruining yourself with the amount of alcohol. So we're hearing two things here. We're hearing like, oh, do I just have cocktails because this is kind of what my boyfriend mm. wants and will I lose him if I don't have cocktails and could I just come back and not start and, and go back to not drinking? You know what could happen? if you really do have a problem with alcohol is, you could go on holiday, you could have those few cocktails, and if you are an alcoholic, we don't know, one drink is never, one drink is too much and a hundred is never enough. So you could, mm. within your week's holiday, show him a whole load of stuff that could shock him. Because, that, that's why because, I say... Because often if you are a, somebody that's drinking to that excess, you could show him a character that he's never seen before. But that's why I think you need to ask yourself, how was alcohol, not, not just how did you meet previous partners around alcohol, but how did alcohol feature in your relationship? Because mm, that if, will happen within days again. Yeah, 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 exactly. If you start drinking alcohol. I think the other thing to bear in mind also, it's very trite and easy, because there'll be some people going, well, tell them, and if they have a problem with it, they're not right for you. Mm. And I don't agree with that, actually. Hard. Because, you know, perhaps he just drinks quite, when I say normally, just wants a few drinks on holiday, like anyone might want to. Doesn't mean he's a raging, insensitive individual. Because at this stage, he isn't insensitive because you haven't told he him. He doesn't know he anything. He doesn't know. Now... And when we were first together, I knew nothing about alcoholism. I thought it was people that sat on park benches. It was all the classic yeah. ideas. I've learned so much over 20 years. But if I'd first met Mark and he said, oh, I don't drink because I've got a drinking problem, I really don't know what I would have thought because I was ignorant to it. You know. I mean, the other, the other thing to bear in mind as well, which even to this day I find difficult, is if you're in any social situation and you haven't got alcohol to lean on, it's an incredibly fearful and nerve-wracking kind of potential experience. I've talked elsewhere on the channel about how I, used to, I went for dinner with friends, they were drinking, I'd stopped drinking, they found it more awkward than me. But then because of that, I began to find it awkward. There's the difficulty, obviously, even with someone you love, of being, you know, sometimes I'd like to be able to sit down with Nadia when we go out and just knock my inhibitions away. Not that I'm sat there like a shy, retiring violet, but sometimes I just want to get, I want to feel more easy and yeah. relaxed in myself and not be thinking about anything. Because I feel huge responsibility to kind of conversation, even with Nadia and keeping it interesting and da 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 da. Um, I, I think the only option here is to be honest. Um, but if you're in the early stages of your relationship, just present, into, present it to him as it is. No, everyone knows about things like Sober October and all that kind of stuff. Just say to him, look, I'm wanting to not drink on this trip just because I've done it a bit too much or I'm wanting to kind of have a bit of a health kick. I don't mind you drinking at all. I quite like it. I think that's a really important line, having been in the opposite side of somebody that isn't drinking, is to say... Even if it's not true, no, I'm telling you to lie, I'm suggesting that you say, but you drink, oh, I love it when people yeah. drink. I'm, I, I just love it. Even if you don't. Because why a lot of people retract is you think, is this person going to be judging? Do exactly. I have to now feel awkward about, oh, uh, I won't have any mm. wine then. And that's what will then make you both anxious, where you say, oh, you drink that, oh, and please. Can I just interject that on that? That's really important because... When a lot, most of my friends, if not all of them, male friends, uh, moved away from me, it wasn't about them not liking me, you know, and it, although it's hard for me to sometimes work that out, it was mostly exactly what Nadia just said. It was, I was showing 
inadvertently a mirror up to them of their own drinking, especially given the fact that I had for so many years been an example of what they weren't. So they could look at me and go, oh, we're not as bad as Mark. Mm -hmm. Suddenly he's removed, suddenly the pecking, it's almost like it drops down one and suddenly they're nearer the top and that kind of thing. But that's even worse in a way for you because you had a history of getting pissed together. Yes. You, know, they, you get that's wild together and then he that's wasn't. But you haven't with him. No, so. no, no, exactly. Yeah. So I think you offer it like that. I mean, funnily enough, you haven't even got the option of saying I'm driving. The other night we were filming in a cocktail bar for two days and the guy was so sweet he ran it and he said oh you're not I said oh I can't drink he said oh yeah of course you must be driving and for the sake of ease I just said yeah I'm driving it's funny I thought, but sometimes I feel it I feel like I'm denying my essential self another line I don't know if necessarily this is right for you with him yet is to develop a really gallows sense of humor which I try to with mine when people say to me my kids say it to me what dad what would happen if you had a drink my line is, well, I'd be great fun for about the first half hour, but by the end of the night, I'll have probably set this in, entire house on fire and, you'll, and I'll be out on the street screaming with my own yeah. head on fire. I wouldn't advise that one. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it's something that I've begun to use, but I'm just talking about further down yeah. the way. If you can have a sort of gallant sense of humour saying, oh, God, you know, it might be too early for that, but it is a, I do think you need to say to him, look, I really don't mind you drinking. In fact, I'm going to quite enjoy it, but I really just want to... I really just want to try and moderate my drinking just for a bit the other day um i hate to quote this but in the housewives of one of them beverly hills um one of the women in there is, is sober and an, another woman had said oh well come on let's try and get her drunk what would happen if we got oh, yeah, yeah, she said, yeah, my life would be in total tatters by yeah. the end of the week you know and eventually you will get to that place if you are if you decide where you say this is non-negotiable for me i'm not lucky enough to be able to drink this puts me in financial and physical danger i'm not the person that i want to be i can't be true to myself we'll be down the line but for now maybe mm. just i really choose not to because it just it makes me feel ill and on the alcoholic thing just mm. rolling back again to the beginning of what we were saying don't get overly hung up on that for now. I know it sounds a weird thing to say from a recovering alcoholic, but just try and look with honesty over your past drinking mm. habits. You'll get a clearer sense. A lot of people seem to want to know if they're an alcoholic now. Don't worry about whether you're an alcoholic now, today. It's much more a historic thing. It's about how has it been? Where are the patterns? How have things, you know, how have things developed? And, you know, I mean, I would say that Nadia, in many regards, was demonstrating all the hallmarks of an alcoholic. If I'd met her as a sober person right at the beginning of our relationship, I'd have gone flipping hell. But in retrospect now, maybe she, you could say she had an alcoholic period or she had a Definitely. problem with alcohol, you know. Definitely. So I was don't in, get hung up on it too much. I was in chaos for, for years. But this is the difference, I would say, of other people that, I de that we definitely know are alcoholics. I, a couple of times I had blackout where I couldn't quite remember what I'd said or whatever. I didn't over and over again want to go to blackout. I didn't lose my keys. I would get myself home. You know, all these mm. things. I was drinking way too much and it was incredibly dangerous the amount I was drinking. But total chaos mm. wasn't part of my life. I wasn't being unfaithful. I wasn't doing all these things that can mm. often... So when Mark says to really interrogate that, and one of the things they got Mark to do on the first day in rehab was he had to sit down and he had to 
write down all the different ways he tried to control his mm. drinking. And he always jokes and says, oh, well, I had an A4 side by the no, end of it. It and was they, unending. And they said, so how's it been working for you then? <laughs> Trying to control... You, you now must admit that you are powerless over controlling your drinking. You cannot control it. Mm. So you're going to have somebody that doesn't drink. Mm. One, one day I might just do a film about all the different ways in which I kidded myself I was somehow controlling my I drinking. I liked the vodka years when you said, oh, if I just drink vodka and nothing else, I'll be all right. Well, not also, years, months. Then, the, then the, believe it or not, the champagne moment where I thought I can drink and lose weight. I mean, Atkins. what a moron. Um, okay. Right. Oh, sorry, it's me. Anonymous. Yeah, this is anonymous as well. Um, Nadia Mark, I've been watching your channel for over three years and a lot of Mark's struggles with mental health have resonated for me. I've struggled with anxiety and depression for 30 years. I'm now 41. Wow, since the age of 11. One of the reasons I suspect is that I had a very volatile upbringing, separated parents and step-parents and the complications of that. I've always been quite a shy person and for a very long time I was scared of almost everyone and everything, which always led to long periods of isolation. I would have definitely described myself as a people pleaser and basically during lockdown I spent a very large time on my own and I hit an epiphany. I've always worried too much about what other people think and how I always need to do things for people to be worthy of any relationship. Mm. This, I think, stems from a relationship with a mum who was and is a classic narcissist. Mm. I've gone from yeah. being a very nice, amenable person to someone who now feels quite bitter that I'm 41, live alone and have no children or partner and find myself isolating more as I don't feel I connect to other people. Looking back, I always felt grateful if anyone even wanted to talk to me, never mind be my friend or partner. I really don't know how to move forward as my whole mindset around people has changed and I'm becoming more and more reclusive and less interested in doing things. I struggle to understand how some people are so comfortable in their own skin, so do I, so do I, and can build relationships and friendships so easily. Do you think therapy would help? I feel I understand why I am the way I am, but not what to do about it. I thought that was a very mm. perceptive sentence. Mm. I'm not very good at talking about feelings or private matters, so I feel a more proactive type of therapy would be better. I'm feeling so unhappy, completely lack purpose, mm. but can't help but think it all stems back from my childhood. How can I change 40 plus years of feeling inadequate and genuinely enjoy life? Wow. Well, yeah. you know what I would say? I would say it sounds like you've really started the journey. That is an astonishing sort of confessional. Mm. Not, that not that you're confessing anything you've done, but, uh, you know, to have that acknowledgement Inside. of self... Mm says to me that therapy will benefit you because, because you're already you're yeah. already so far in yeah you know incredible that you through the uh, lockdown you realized that you were sick and tired of being sick and yeah, tired absolutely. and no matter who the people were whether they were good to you or mm. not you would do anything to seek their approval and then of course i see the small child in you with the narcissistic mother who you can never make a narcissist happy it's just not possible. Narcissist is the very nature of narcissism. So to have a narcissistic mother is horrific. I'm reading more and more about it in the moment. I'm fascinated mm. by it and, and the incredible stories of survival of adult children of narcissists. Mm. And you sound to me like you have survived brilliantly mm. because you found a way to connect with people which was just doing, you know, being of service to them. You've now realised that that has become too much of a one-way street. What I'm hearing is you've retracted. And when you say, I'm now a bitter 
41 year old well, I think if you could try never to call yourself that again that would be an amazing thing because that's a very negative harsh vicious thing against yourself because what I was hearing is not bitter you're just pulling back to rethink you're readdressing you're feeling your anger you're feeling your upset about your childhood you've given yourself a minute to actually think about it you talk about how your brother and you have talked about this and you're both agreed. Mm. So you're validated. You have somebody else that was in that experience that says it was fucking hell and we've survived it. And I, I absolutely think that some kind of talking therapy would be brilliant for you. But Mark and I always say this. Therapy is not a catch-all, save-all, anything. There are a lot of really bad therapists out there. There are some really great ones. So I would say if you're going to look into therapy, really investigate what kind... Do you know what? It's amazing how many people, when they say to me they're having therapy, and I said, what kind? And they say, oh, I don't know. So you need somebody that's, that's right for your kind of situation. Like a lot of people just, oh, just a counsellor. Well, they might have had two weekend courses... And you don't know, you really got to drill into it, how much experience, there's gestalt therapy, there's CBT, there's, you know, all kinds of things. Um, but also, I really do want to recommend to you, because Davina McCall, who has been very open about her problems with her mother growing up, I listen to her podcast often, Making the Cut, and the amount of times she recommends myhorridparent.com for adult children of people with very difficult parents. So many amazing articles. There's a community mm. there that you could share. There are also a number of um, online um, websites around narcissism, particularly surviving a narcissistic mother. Mm. So maybe before you jump straight to therapy, maybe start making those connections and you'll see, oh my God. Because mm. oh it's almost like you need to hear that other people have gone through this. And that. 41 is young. I didn't have Kiki till I was 42. You know, everything is possible. You can have an amazing relationship. You, could, you, could ha you can still make all your dreams come true. I really believe that. And you are now on a journey of knowing what you want, asking for your want, and not taking so much bullshit. Yeah, I mean, what I would say about the 41-year-old, and it's easy for us to say it because I'm 52 and Nadia's 58, um, don't try and cry over spilt milk because one of the things that cannot be changed is your age. I mean, I have to say this to myself all the time. And sometimes when I say it so forcibly, it kind of removes that stress because what that does is it puts stress on you in terms of time. Mm. I need to have got to a sort of certain place. You don't even know where that place is mentally. I've, but I've got to get somewhere. I've got to have made some progress with this stuff that I'm feeling. It's going to be a journey. It's not going to be... And this is another thing that's, you know, I've, I've learned over time. You're never going to get to a point of total resolution. No. That's what being a human being is. We are all different because of the different circumstances. But also, even if they're the same circumstances, our different responses and just the differences of who we all are. And I think sometimes I go through this in terms of wanting happiness for my kids. It's not that I want unhappiness for them, but actually... It's a fool's gold. And so that might just help you get out of this thing of thinking, I'm 41 and I should have got to this realisation. I got sober at 34, started to get my feelings back. And if I'm really honest, only started to really understand what they were when I was getting into my early to late, early to mid 40s, I would say. I was still kind of getting an orientation on it. But to this day, I'm still working on it. And you will be working on it until your dying day. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, what I would say is, um, 
what it sounds like you're experiencing in terms of uh, you know people pleasing, being accepted by others, friends, not under that line where you said, I don't know how people can be easy in their own skin. I am with you a million percent on that. I don't understand how Nadia can walk into a room and be absolutely fine. It's not to say I, I can't do that, but my God, it, I, I pay a price because I go to I have to go to places of such reserves to do it that I'm almost performing. It's performative rather than natural. And that's, I'm not saying necessarily that Nadia, you I don't like do to, that. I, I, I get very anxious. Well, that, about it. I that's push one, myself through. Well, that's one of the things I want to say. You look at others and you think, oh, they're doing it so easily. They're not necessarily. Not mm. some, some people are. Yeah, and I think it's really important, again, to lose that sense of comparison. So those are two things that I can hear are stressing you out. One is lack of time, I haven't done it in time, da-da-da-da. And the other one is comparing and contrasting yourself with others. It's impossible not to do that. I do it all the time. Caring what other people think about you is such a difficult oh, thing exhausting. to lose. It's a, but it's also such a difficult thing to change. And finally, before I chuck back over to you, Nads, because you feel you've, and you probably have had a narcissistic, you know, you clearly you feel that your mother is a narcissist. When we talk about trauma in childhood and youth, we often are led to think it's things like violence, it's led uh, sexual abuse, it's an acute action that's either happened once or over a period of time to you. Sitting and being in an experience with someone on a repetitive basis that becomes your normal is trauma. Mm. So for example, for me, and this is no criticism of my mom, I was on my own an awful amount of time. So my trauma was a slow motion trauma. My, my trauma was a trauma across time, which built into a trauma. Now my mom wasn't thinking she was being horrible to me, but it became, it, it's fed most of the issues I've had, you know, have in my life. Rejection, abandonment, fear of being on my own, wanting to be with people, but not, not exactly feeling comfortable being with people. That would be part of it. So having a narcissistic parent, for whom everything is a you know passes through them they are the con everything has to be about them through them revolve around them etc that the is nasty, a traumatic and the experience and nasty nasty things that will have been said to you Absolutely. over and over again criticizing mm. you over and over again so of course you came into this being a rescuer and and you know seeking approval all the time this line though um I don't feel I connect to other people now that I don't feel the need to constantly seek approval. You, I think if you can think about you're not connecting in the way that you used to, but that doesn't mean you can't connect. Mm. And the withdrawal and the isolation, if you think about it more of yourself, you've stepped away and you're holding yourself. You're just holding yourself a bit to find out what what do you want? How would you like to connect? How can you change that? And then with the support of other groups and people that have had similar experiences and then eventually if you find the right therapy, therapy, I think that you can have an incredible uh, life. Just but I would definitely say start by speaking to others Think about all the different kinds of therapy because there's therapy, there's psychotherapy that can last for years, there's psychiatry, which or there's gestalt, which is about taking well, and you also now, there's moving this, you on. Yeah, I'm thinking of it for myself. There's this EMDR, which is yes. this eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Sounds very, very garbled. Look into but look all into these it. Things. This is this is this is specifically about recovering from past experiences mm. and trauma. So I mean, I'm looking at that. Um, I've had I've heard some amazing things. Mm. I've interviewed people. They've had huge trauma 
and um, EDMR has changed their life. It's, but again, nothing is right for just one person. You're going to have to find your own way. With and them. one final thought on this is, you, you know, unlike when I got sober or started my weird kind of mental health journey, um, you've got so many resources now mm. on social media, on um, on online. Doesn't mean all of them are right, but by and large, around the mental health kind of realm or, or field most people that are talking about it in any sense charities you know mental health organizations uh, you know conventional psychiatric kind of websites they, they, they're not going to they're not interested in kidding you so it's worth reading around it and the other thing i would say is that all therapists give you an introductory session test drive a few you know why go to one and think oh i've got to see this person mm. you don't you've got don't be intimidated you've got, and 15 minutes of, you've got 15 minutes of free assessment and, and interrogate them how yeah. would you move me on from this exactly. you know are you somebody that wants to go back through everything and investigate everything or are you somebody that's wanting to be moved forward you know all of these things but again you need to read other people's experiences to think about what you might want for yourself because it be you, you've not had a life where you've been thinking about what you no. want for you, you've had a life where you've been thinking for others. And a top tip for going into any therapy whatsoever, and I, I mean, I did a very low-level kind of course in therapy, it means I could put up a thing on a wall and say I'm a therapist, which would be ludicrous. Um, have a think before you go and see any therapist about this, because it will always be the first question. What would you most like to change in your life? What is there you in here? your life? Mm. They're going to ask you, why are you here? And what often used to happen for me and still does, and I'm trying to avoid it with my next therapist, is your brain starts to race like mad for, for cover. And what will sometimes come out is not necessarily the right thing in the right order <laughs> or with the right emphasis. It's really worth taking that time before you speak to anyone in an assessment or anything just what write do down, what is it? What what am I least happy about? And you know what, Anonymous? You've written the most brilliant thing to show your therapist here. I would just mm. show them this. Mm. Well done, you. Yeah, well done. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Try and say that mm. every day when you get up so you can leave the past. You need to work on the past, of course, but don't call yourself bitter. No. Just say that I'm hurting a bit. I'm feeling grief. And I'm going to look after that grief and I'm going to look after myself. Don't, don't use the mm. word bitter. Exactly. Um, final one, uh, anonymous. I've been in a relationship for just over a year. I'd say I'm happy, but I can't help feeling like I miss being single sometimes. I miss the excitement of chatting to and meeting new people. So am I really happy? Do you know what? This looks like a small problem, but this is massive. First of all, I wish I knew your age. Yes. So I think we're going to have to do a little bit of flip-flopping between what age yeah, you yeah, are, yeah. because yeah. if you are young, then, um, yeah, maybe you've just got a bit of an itch and you need a bit more of, like, chatting about and stuff. Mm. Um, but, you you know, I think it's a good, good question to ask yourself, what am I missing actually? Mm. And... Am I really not getting this from the person that I'm with? Mm. And it's like in uh, recovery, they talk about first thought, second thought. So like so an alcoholic or a drug addict or somebody might go, wow, I really want this pill or wow, I really want this drink because I'm going to have the best time ever. Second thought, mm, where does that usually end up? Well, it usually ends up with me losing my keys, having a fight with my partner, not getting home. You know, so it's first thought, second first thought. Wow, it'd be lovely to have the excitement of somebody else and just like to feel my heart second thought what if that 
you you start that off and then actually it's not what you want at all because actually you do really like this person you're with it's just sometimes you feel a bit a bit closed in or a bit frustrated and how might I be able to to, to investigate that in a different way rather than impulsively going out and looking to flirt or chat up somebody else. I mean, the two phrases that I think, or words that are used in this, that I think are really kind of revealing, and I'm, I mean this in a sort of light-hearted fashion, is the excitement of chatting and, the, and, and meeting new people. I think that those two comments, I would say, interrogate what you mean by those. Mm. Excitement of chatting. Is it just about chatting or is it the thrill exactly of flirting? In which case, you know, flirting with someone other than the person you're with tends to indicate not that that person isn't right for you, but that a relationship has arrived at the wrong time for you. And I think you need to seriously then interrogate if I've got these feelings, are they going to potentially at some point flip into action and then this will cause hurt and upset and all that kind of stuff? And meeting new people, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you are young uh, for some reason. I don't know why. It's just fewer people have relationships of just a year when they're older. I mean, maybe that's not the case. Um, meeting new people, what's that about? Is, is that also uh, something that's inherited from the kind of swipe right culture? Is it the variety? But ask yourself, is hidden in either of these a sexual component? Um, a flirting component, you know, if it's about these two seemingly innocent things, chatting to and meeting new people about how they develop into something else, I would suggest that perhaps, potentially, even a relationship that's only only a year long is not necessarily the right thing. And as with all relationships, if you think that there's the possibility of something on the horizon upsetting the apple cart, better to deal with it earlier than later. And another setup is that you really like this person, you've been together a year, but it, this, your partner isn't happy about you going out. Mm, yeah, and doesn't, you used to go to the pub a couple of times a week with your friends and now you don't. You used to have a girls' night every three, three weeks. We, I don't anymore. And if that's the case, and what you're talking about is socialising with other people, you know, being a bit flirty, it could be flirtatious with no intention of ever of being unfaithful, to flirt, to get a bit of attention, to have some fun, to have a giggle. If that is not being allowed or you or is you're in, you know, you're feeling a little controlled about that, then that's a whole different issue. And you absolutely should be socializing in the way that you want to socialize so um you know i've been in relationships before where it's been really controlling where i mean i won't be controlled i'll still go out but they don't want you to go out and it's like oh what are you going to a club with your friend? why are you going to a club with your friends when you've already got a boyfriend well you might only go to a club to pick somebody up but that's not mine <laughs> it, i've never picked anyone up in a club i go with my friends and i have love so if it's that situation and your social life has been cut down to nothing because your partner is saying, just be with me all the time, then that isn't happy. That but, isn't you in a happy situation. But so. I would say that you do say, I miss being single sometimes. So I'm assuming it is pivoting around the ability to flirt. Well, not necessarily, it. because it might be that, that, that actually what she's missing when she says that is she's missing a sense of freedom. You should be able to feel free within your relationship 
So she might be missed being single because she could go out with her friends and she could do gotcha. You know it what I mean? We're assuming it's a she, it might be a he. Yeah. Um, but finally, on that though, where it gets sticky and it gets tricky, everything that Nadia has just said, if your other half is in a relationship, I mean, and this is where it could make what you've just said, Nadia, about not having the freedom to do what you want to do, that can become a bit clouded by what I'm about to say, which is you might want that and you might miss that kind of freedom. But that kind of freedom to chat to, meet, flirt with others might be to the person you're with, not how they've envisaged a uh, sort of loyal partnership or relationship. And that doesn't mean they're a controlling person. No. You know, it can if just you be were that going to right that night, if, if I was with someone and they were going to a nightclub, yeah, fine if they're going, I'm going with my friends. Well, I don't see any conflict. But if she's going with her friends in order to flirt with other men, dance with other men, that's not quite what I was expecting mm. from a relationship. He can't or she can't stop you from doing that, but I would ask you both to reconsider whether the relationship is right for you in that case. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if there are people that have relationships where they have flings with other people and they're totally fine, there's so many different grades of mm. what what is loyalty. But if 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 it's not working for you, then it's not working for you. So you've got to really ask yourself, am I actually happy or am I just a bit itchy, mm. a little bit bored? Because if it's that, then see what you can do with your partner. So, do you know, I'm feeling a little bit like we've got a bit stayed, you know. Come on, let's just do something that we wouldn't normally do. Let's, you know, if you're in watching videos and having a curry on your lap every night and you're bored with that, then do something different. If you used to go partying together and now you're not, say that. You have to, I always say this to women, you have to know what you want so you can ask for it. And sometimes we don't allow ourselves to sit down and go, what do I actually want? Well, what, what isn't feeling right? And then when you've worked that out, then, then voice it. And if the person doesn't want to communicate with you, tough really. And I think Nadia fully showed her age there by saying if you stay at home and watch videos. Did I say videos? It's never been a video. Did I say blockbuster video? Yeah, <laughs> the top loader. Anyway, I hope that's been sort of vaguely useful. So there you go. That's our agony aunt and uncle for this week. Thank you. And if you're just watching on podcast, head over to our YouTube channel. Watching on podcast? Oh, God, listening on podcast. Go over to our YouTube channel. Over there we have... Um, so much content stretching right imagine us as just another bbc and if you're on youtube and you prefer to listen to it on the move then obviously go to either apple spotify well, wherever you have listen a, have to a, a podcast listen.